my wife and I, we have uh, some time off together. We have our day off together. And generally, we go grocery shopping together. I don't expect her to do that on her own. She doesn't expect me to do that on her own. So we go to, to the supermarket together and we do grocery shopping. Oh, by the way, no niggling, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what we do. And uh, we, we enjoy being together. We make sure that we're accountable in terms of what we put in that trolley. <laughs> or maybe me. And, uh, and anyway, just on Friday, I was walking up and down the aisle, and I ran into this person um, who was looking at me, and I just thought it was a, it's a gentle elderly man who um, just wanted to say hi, and I was happy to say hi. Sometimes I do that, and I didn't recognize him. He had this hat on. And he's walking towards me, and uh, I said, hey, hey. I started to wake up and go, oh, I know who you are. It was a mentor of mine from many years ago that I hardly recognized. And this gentleman spoke into my life um, probably for a good two or three years. I'd show up every Thursday night to learn the Bible. He gave up his time free to invest in my life. And up and down the aisles, weren't we? We kept uh, running into them. I had this opportunity to thank he and his wife for investing in me. And I celebrated with him. This is my 20th year in ministry. I've lasted this long. I'm so thankful for that for a great congregation, by the way, I said to him. Great church. And, um, and it just got me thinking, this whole idea of, of, of mentorship and encouragement and those people you need in your life throughout the years. Another time in my life where I desperately needed somebody to be there for me was a particular time when I did my first abseil. Has anyone ever abseiled? Yeah, we've got a few people. Nice and high. I don't want to see your hands. Come on. People of Absar, right? And I didn't mind going down backwards at all because you can't really see when you're going backwards. But it was the time where I went forwards. Now, let me explain. I'm not explaining the whole deal because it was like this. It was like a cliff edge with a 15-meter drop. That doesn't sound much, but it was a 15-minute drop, 15-meter drop onto a, a rock face, 150, 50 meters and so here I was on the tip of the, tip of the, uh, the rock face, having to lean out. You know what it's like holding the, you know, holding that thing. And uh, I'd watched um, my team go through this first, and I was thankful for that. And, and it was, it was uh, one of those things that looks easy when somebody else is doing it. But when you go to do it, it's extremely difficult, right? And so here we are. I do the back one, and then I'm going forward. And... You kind of freeze, right? You kind of stand there and you freeze because you kind of go, I just hope this rope holds me and I hope I'm going to free fall, not 20 meters, but 15 meters onto this rock face. And I heard all these voices coming from 150 meters. Well, you can do it. You can do it. But there was one voice that really mattered. And that was the instructor's voice. As he yelled out, Steve, you've got this. And I'll never forget that. Never forget that. You know, another voice that really mattered in my life as I was growing up was a voice about the age of, oh dear, uh, maybe early 20s, where I felt called to ministry at the age of 16. God was calling me into doing what I'm doing now at the age of 16. Very strong. And um, uh, it came to a time where I knew I had to go and study. I knew I had to go to Bible college. And that was tough enough in itself let alone having to go to Sydney to study, to leave my family, who I'm very close with my family and loved ones. And um, I got together with a good friend, Steve Brown. Steve Brown and I, CEO of City Mission now, uh, have been good friends for many, many years. 
And uh, Steve invited me over and, and we worked through my Bible, sorry, my Bible college application form. It was pretty intense. And, and we prayed and we were just praying through this right move. And he helped me fill out my Bible college application form. And so that was another voice that was really helpful for me as a young person going through the youngest stage of my life. And then as I was coming to the end of time in my Bible college, I get a phone call from Craig on behalf of the elders. And Craig says, we want to fly you back home to interview you for a role here in the life of the church. We're going to go on a vision weekend and uh, you know, have some good time together. And so I came back and they interviewed me and that was a successful interview. But Craig has been one of those voices in my life for many years who's mentored and encouraged me and such a faithful person. And I know he's walking on on the on, on air t- today because his football team won, right? His football team won on Friday night. Nearly 40 years. Oh, Cam's there too. Um, nearly 40 years these, uh, this team hasn't won. That's the, the Tigers, the Richmond Tigers. And uh, <laughs> let me get back to the story. Craig uh, invested in me over many years and believed in me and, and, and really mentored me for a number of years. And I still, I still know he believes in me, don't you? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and um, Andrew is another person who's been instrumental in my life. Um, every Wednesday, we sit in my office and we pray. Do you know what we pray for? We pray for you. We pray for you, the congregation. We pray for our staff. We pray for our future. We pray for this city. We pray for this nation. We pray for the world. We praise God. And Andrew's been one of those voices I really needed, a little bit older than me, a little really needed in my, in my journey of faith and of life. I'm very thankful uh, for his voice and his encouragement and mentorship. Another person who uh, has spent some time with me over these last three or four years is, uh, is uh, uh, he's, he's in his 70s, mid-70s. And uh, his name's Keith, Keith Farmer. And uh, he mentors me from a distance. Um, We sometimes meet maybe twice a year, but via Skype. It's amazing these days. You can be mentored by that way. And uh, he actually believes in me more than I probably believe in myself. That goes for all these people that I've just talked about. And so with those people who have spoken into my life, I feel that they've developed within me that sense that I was made for more. Which brings me to some questions here this morning to ask you, ask of you. I'll ask a couple of questions of you. Who in your life do you have or have had that it's invested in you and told you that you were truly made for more? Was it a mentor? Was it a teacher? Was it a boss? Was it a relative? Was it a friend? Someone who relentlessly was trying to call out the good that's within you. Someone who believed in you more than you maybe believed in yourself. Somebody who saw something in you that maybe you were blind to see. You see, that is the beauty of a mentor. To help you through those road bumps of life. To act as that sounding board. Someone to inspire you because of their experience. By the way, I'm sure most of these people that I've mentioned today have also had people speak into their lives. In fact, I know that. Somebody more experienced. In fact, I would actually say this, that this mentoring relationship is probably one of the most meaningful relationships you can have in a lifetime. And so this is exactly what Paul's second letter 
to Timothy is like. This is what we're going to experience. Thanks, Sam. You've done a great job. Um, um, this next 11 weeks, as we buckle up and look into this mentoring and relationship of the Apostle Paul to that of Timothy, this young leader. And so here we go. This kingdom global leader, the Apostle Paul, is coming to the end of his life, to the end of his pastoral run, if I could say that. And he finds himself 800 miles away from Timothy. Where's Timothy? Timothy is in Ephesus. And he's leading this young church at this particular time. And Paul finds himself in this Roman prison cell. What does a Roman prison cell look like? Well, often it's overcrowded, it's dirty, it's dark, and it's damp. And Timothy is on the mind of the Apostle Paul. And so Paul begins to write, and he writes this dream. He writes this picture to remind him that he was made for more. I have a question for you here this morning, and it's this. Do you, let me put that up please. Do you have a Paul in your life? That's where we're starting this series with. Let's look at the relationships and see how this unfolds because I think we need somebody who believes in us, you, me, more than in fact we believe in ourselves. That they will do whatever it takes to draw that greatness out of us. Can I just get a bit of a, a show of hands that you've had or currently have a mentor in your life? Can I just get a bit of an idea? Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic, thank you. The next question I have for you is this. Do you have a Timothy in your life? I've already mentioned a couple of particular people who have um, taken me on over those years. Those people who give up their time to sow into you, to invest in you, to meet with you regularly. Because I believe that every sincere Christ follower will grow more rapidly if they have a Paul in their life. Someone who is consistently pouring into them. But I also believe that every person should be discipling and pouring themselves into the life of another. I'm grateful for the godly men and women who had given up their time to mentor me over many years. And I have this question for you this morning. What would it look like for you in this next season of life? What would it look like if you would help somebody believe that you were made for more? Well, this next 11 weeks, the big idea of this series is this, to call out the inner greatness that's in with each of us that God so desperately desires to put on display for the world to see. But let me set the scene. Let me set the scene. But to do that, we have to go back to the days of Jesus, to a character by the name of King Herod. King Herod. King Herod built this massive theater. And uh, in Greek and Roman culture, it was beginning to influence the day. And they would focus on the body, they would focus on sport, they would focus on learning and philosophy and things like this. But another very important thing of the day was the idea of arts. And so they built these massive theatres. I think there's a picture there, right? Is there a picture? There we go. They built these massive theatres. Now, the word theatre literally means to look at. To look at. And so you'd show up at the theatre, you'd sit down, you'd look up at 
the stage and those who were performing. And so all around the ancient Near East, theaters were popping up. So here's Timothy. Where's where's Timothy's assignment? Timothy's assignment is with a young church in Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus had a quarter of a million people, roughly the size of, what, maybe a little less than Hobart? Yeah. And so in the city of Ephesus, there was this amphitheater that was built around about 25,000 people. So it's quite significant. Figure out the percentage to uh, the population. A little bit larger than maybe Utah Stadium. And so most nights, the actors would come up on stage carrying a bag that were filled with masks. These actors were known as hypocrites. Hypocrites. Where we get the word hypocrisy, exactly, hypocrite. Where a hypocrite in the Greek culture was known as an actor. And so they put the mask on and they kind of asked themselves, well, who am I going to be tonight? What am I going to do? What's the tone of my voice? What character will I play? And what accent will I use? And so Jesus actually began, because this was emerging in their culture, Jesus actually began to see this emerging, and he started to address this, that many followers of God were acting. Their lives became less about pointing people to the goodness of the Father, where it became more about the applause of humans going with the flow of society. It became less about the audience of one. And Jesus spoke strongly into this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and then I'll read verse 16, where he says, And when you pray, this is Jesus, and when you pray, do not be like the actors. Do not be like those actors, the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be what? To be seen by others that look at me kind of mentality verse 16 Jesus goes on he says when you fast do not look somber as the actors the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting now I could go on and read verse after verse after verse of Jesus mentioning this in fact he goes on and mentions this 15 more times, 17 times, in fact, in the Gospels that Jesus gives this command to do not be a hypocrite. Do not act. Do not wear the mask. You see, what's amazing about this, as I look into this and read up about this, about the Roman and Greek cultures of the time, because they were a little nervous. They became a little nervous about what happened when you lived under a mask, that they would actually tell the actors to not be the same character for too long because they feared they might actually become that character. Now, if you're familiar with acting and Hollywood and things like that, you'd be familiar with this thing called method acting. Some of you might remember the movie Rain Man, starring Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise. Some of you remember that. Dustin Hoffman was a method actor. He becomes the character that he's going to play. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned Heath Ledger. I think we've got a picture there as well. Sorry, please look away if you don't like this. 
But Heath Ledger is a method, method actor. The movie I watched that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the plane is on tonight, if you're interested to watch a fascinating story. If you don't like swearing and things like that, don't watch it. Um, but there's a fascinating story of this, this man who died at the age of 28 uh, and um, uh, is a very creative person and didn't want to get caught up in the whole Hollywood scene. But uh, one, of the, one of the movies he's very well known for is the, um, the Batman movie that he played that became the Joker. And it mentions and talks a bit about that. But what's fascinating is this, that it does something to us is when we live under the mask and Jesus addresses the culture and says, don't do that. Don't be like that. Stop masking who you are. And so here's Paul, the great apostle. He finds himself over 800 miles away from uh, Timothy and he's got this word for Timothy, and he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here we go. 2 Timothy, four chapters, 1, verses 1 to 2. He says, Paul, Paul, that's who I am, an apostle of Christ. That's what I'm called to do, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It's the calling on my life. In keeping with the promise of life, that is in Christ Jesus. That's how he starts this letter. To Timothy, my dear son. Press pause there for a moment. We'll come back to that in a moment if we could. To Timothy, my dear son. It's important that we understand this because we don't know much about Timothy's father. We don't. But one thing we do know is that he was Greek. And scholars believe that his father actually bailed early on in his life. So his father was Greek, but his mother was Jewish. And so Timothy being Greek mean he, means he wasn't circumcised, which means he was unable to enter the synagogue. So you have this question, well, was he Jew or was he Greek? And so he's kind of been left in the middle unsure of where he stands in society and so because of that insecurities kind of build up within his life and he has these pressures of his identity who is he and he asks these questions who am i what am i here to do what's my place in this life and where do i fit because i don't know where i belong am i jew am i greek i'm not allowed to go there and so the first thing that Paul says to Timothy is what? He says, my dear son. You know what he's saying here in this first two verses of 2 Timothy? You know what he's saying? He's saying, I will be your spiritual father. You may not have had your father with you, and you may have been confused, but I will be your spiritual father, Timothy. In fact, I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to set you up for life. I'll be your spiritual father. This is, this is crucial. Verse 2, he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, in every other letter, every other letter that Paul starts, he begins with just grace and mercy. What is Paul saying to Timothy here? He's saying that I need you to know that it's not just grace and peace, but it's mercy that is for you. What does that mean? What our third goal as a church, yeah, is to grow three things. To grow hope, a thousand stories of hope and transformation. To grow invitations, very good. And the third one is to grow mercy. It's this thing of growing mercy. What is mercy? Well, Chuck Swindoll puts it like this. I really like this. He says this, the grace is God's gift to the worthless. 
mercy is God's ministry to the helpless. This is what he's saying to Timothy. Peace is God's love for the restless. And he gets a bit passionate here as he goes on for the next three verses, three, four, and five. And he says this, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Can everyone say that word sincere? Sincere. I am reminded, Paul says to Timothy, of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, the generations are being mentioned here, and in your mother Eunice. I had a grandmother called Eunice. She was also a mentor of mine. She would take me to church. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Can I ask you this morning, do you have, this is a sincere question, do you have a sincere faith? Because Paul was reminded of Timothy about his sincere faith that lived in the generations before him. How important are the generations? Because in Paul's travel, just like, just like Jesus' travels, he saw a lot of masks. And he commends him in this first few verses of this second letter. He commends him for his sincere faith because he knows it will set him up well for the rest of his life. Can I just spend these next few moments on this word sincere? Because this word sincere is made up of two Greek words. I will not dare even try to pronounce them. <laughs> but they literally mean not a hypocrite. This word sincere means not a hypocrite. To, to be sincere means you have dropped the mask, that you are not playing the game that the world has taught you to play. And so because of that, as we come to this next part of my message, we're going to look at these four masks here this morning that maybe some of us are wearing, we put on daily, depending on where we are in life. The first mask we're going to look at is that of a performer. And this is represented by Iron Man. Anyone love Iron Man? Anyone a big fan of Iron Man? I am. I love Iron Man. He's a legend, isn't he? He's fantastic. And uh, one of the things we, we, uh, we find out about Iron Man is that uh, he's always putting on a bit of a show, isn't he? Isn't he? Lives in this incredible mansion. And uh, he loves that attention. And, uh, uh, and I guess a person who is a performer in life with this mask, who wears this, life, this mask, you find your identity and your achievements and successes. What is important to a performer is exactly that. It's how you perform in life. What people think of you really matters to a performer. But I want to ask this question to performers here this morning. What happens when you fail? What happens and how does it make you feel? What does it make you think? Often performers, when they fail, think and take it personally. So when you're a performer, how do you describe your faith? Is it a sincere faith or is it a performance faith? Well, it's that sense where often performance, I am what I've done. I am what I have created which is opposite of grace. 
And so Paul is saying to Timothy, have a sincere faith, not a faith centered on a mask of performance. So this morning with our first mask here this morning, I'm asking you, is this you? Is this the mask of performance that you put on, depending on the environment? The second mask this morning, anyone uh, like Spider-Man? Yeah, he's awesome. This one represents, I'm a big superheroes fan, by the way, that of a pleaser. Spider-Man is a pleaser. And these kind of people are into helping everyone else. To please everyone else. And so the focus is not actually on them, but it's on you. Not necessarily on heaven. And so this responsibility of being a pleaser rests heavily upon your shoulders. We're fixated with solving other people's problems, taking care of everybody else, often at the expense of self and our soul. That sense, if I can't make this person happy or this group of people happy, I'll be excluded in my job or I'll be excluded amongst my friends or even my family. Yet like a tree that bends to the needs of others, that tree will one day break. And so Paul says to Timothy, do not let your faith be a pleasing faith where you tune out of God because you have yourself focused in on but to be sincere and to drop that mask and stop trying to please others. So I ask you, is that more like you this morning? As we move on to the third, third um, mask here this morning, represented by Captain... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I've dropped off, kicked off, kicked off, mucked up here, sorry. Hang in there. Hang in there. Thank you. It's up there somewhere. Thank you. <laughs> Captain America, any Captain America fans? Yeah? Oh, we got some more. We got some more. That's awesome. That's good to hear. He's a legend, isn't he? He's a perfectionist, isn't he? He's a perfectionist. He's a good looking guy. And uh, this is the kind of person who wears this mask, um, who, who does it all right all the time. <laughs> yeah? That you have such a high bar of how things should be done. You're often self critical, and you're often critical of others. No one else really can do it like somebody's having a revelation right there now. <laughs> but God, God isn't necessarily somebody you go to and ask for help. God is someone you turn to and say, bless what I have done. That's what happens to the person who's wearing this mask. It's often hard to be vulnerable and it's important to all have it together, to look good together, the job to be good, the family, the marriage, all that kind of stuff, the singleness, all that kind of stuff. And so everything on the outside looks so good, yet often on the inside with this particular mask that we have on is this, this cracking, this crumbling, this stuff going on in our lives. And Paul says to Timothy to be sincere, to be sincere and to drop that mask that you're wearing, that perfectionist mask. I want to ask you this morning, is this you? Is this you? Mask four, the fourth and final mask. I'll try not to kick anything here. <laughs> Batman, anyone? Yeah? Come on, where's Smithy in the house? Yeah, yeah, Smithy, come on. Yeah. Batman. Batman, pretender. You know, you know when he puts the mask on? You know what kind of voice he uses? 
You remember that voice in the Batman movies? And I'm Batman. He's a pretender. He's a pretender. How many of us live with family and friends pretending? You know, you say, oh, you've seen that movie? Oh, I've seen that. You haven't seen that movie at all. Yo, oh, you've read that book? Yeah, I've read that book. Been to that cafe? Been, you, know, oh, you haven't been there at all. You're pretending. We're putting this mask on. So I'm asking the question this morning, why can't we mean what we say and say what we mean? I think the Bible talks about that, doesn't it? To let your yes be yes and your no to be a no. So why can't we say sometimes that I just don't know? So we go on wearing the Batman mask of being a pretender. We find ourselves just slightly not telling the truth, so we exaggerate. And Paul is saying to Timothy, take that mask off. Don't pretend to be something that God never intended you to be. Do any of you remember this particular tennis player? Who is he? Andre Agassi, absolutely. I think it was like the 80s, right? In the 80s? Andre Agassi, what was that? It has to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, he brought tennis to life in my generation, yeah? He had the gold earrings, the gold chains, the color, the looks. He was married to Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields, yeah? And he had sponsorship unlike any other tennis player of his day. In fact, he was sponsored, um, uh, Canon, the camera. He was sponsored by Canon. And you know the branding that came, the wording, the brand that came with camera, this particular camera was rebel. Everything, uh, image is everything. It was entitled rebel because, well, Andre Agassi was a rebel himself, but image is everything. You know this long hair? In fact, in his biography, it was recorded, this long hair was a wig. It was a wig. But image is everything. Image is everything. That he would lose games on purpose, if you read his book, he would lose games on purpose against unknown people that he should so easily have beaten because he felt his wig moving. <laughs> He's pretending. He would lose games on purpose because he did not want on national TV to have his wig come off. So it was easier to lose than to deal with critics than allow yourself to be fully seen and to know, to be known. You know, the crazy thing, isn't it? The crazy thing about these kind of masks that we put on each day is that it covers stuff up, doesn't it? It covers stuff up where most of us at least, if not more, have one of these masks that we put on depending on the environment. So what is it? What is it about us that we feel like we need to cover this part up of our life? Because Paul is saying to Timothy in this first chapter to drop the mask that you are able to, to be seen and to be known, but most of all, that you're able to be you. That you're able to be you. So as I finish this morning, i just got three quick challenges. The first challenge is, is this. Number one, name your primary mask here today. It may be another one, but just have a look at these four this morning. Name your primary mask. Which is the one that you would say that you would turn to the most? I'm not going to ask you to turn the person and tell that person, by the way. 
but which is the one that you would turn to the most? As I said, different environments draw out different kind of masks, don't they? For example, maybe at home, you have that perfectionist mask on, maybe at work, you have that performance or pleasing mask on, maybe with your friends, you have that pretending mask on. Which one would you lean to the most? Second challenge is, what wound do you think this is covering up? What's going on deeper within our lives? Maybe you wear the performer's mask because someone who really mattered to you didn't see you. And that really hurt and that really mattered. You Maybe for a pleaser, you couldn't please your family, couldn't please your friends. Maybe you just have that sense of neglect and uh, the only way of being accepted is to put this pleaser's mask on. And maybe for you this morning, you're wearing that perfector's mask, that fear of failure, not seeing, being seen as good enough or the pretender that you will never be as good as you feel others expect you to be. That I think this morning, maybe God wants you to drop this mask as we come into a time of communion. And the third thing is to find a Paul and get a Timothy. Now, if you're married to a Paul, I don't mean that, all right? You've already got that, all right? But if you find a Paul and get a Timothy. Now, there's a lot of wisdom in this room. There are also a lot of young hearts in this room and in our gathering here at Door of Hope who have a lot of questions. And so maybe if God was speaking to you or whispering to you about a particular name, to invite out for a coffee, to talk about life, to talk about faith, to talk about struggles, to talk about goals, to set goals for your future, to draw out that best in you. Because I know both sides are waiting to be asked. And I beg you this morning to go and make that ask. There are three quick things that I'm encouraging if you're going to do this this morning. Is to clarify your expectations. What I mean by that is when and where you would meet. But also execute. What I mean by that is to put it in your calendar and show up. But this also is maybe not for life, but maybe just for a season. But here's... Here's what happens when we become serious about this, when we start to drop the mask. I believe everybody wins when you open yourself up to a Paul and hand on to a Timothy. But here's what really happens. Sin lessens. God is glorified and people grow and the kingdom is extended, and the kingdom is unleashed, and something very happen, powerful happens. Why? Because we are made for more. So those three things, name your primary mask. Name your primary mask. What wound is it covering up? And maybe search out a Paul or find a Timothy. Let me pray.